and gentlemen, welcome to the second episode of Tanakh Talk, the podcast which discusses Tanakh, the Hebrew Bible, in an inspirational, intelligent, and interesting manner. My name is Yaakov Beasley, and I'm your host for today. As I mentioned before on the previous podcasts, I went to the store, and today I picked up my copy of Rav Yaakov Medan, the Rosh Hashiva of Haaretzion of Gush, the famous Tanakh scholar, his new commentary on the book of Eov, the book of Job. Very exciting, looking forward to reading it. What was fascinating was reading one of the book reviews this week in the Israeli newspaper, Ynet. Ynet discusses, wow, it's amazing that a rabbi would raise questions of God's providence of good and evil. And uh, I thought religious people are supposed to be people of faith. And I found it really, on one hand, fascinating that they would say that. For anybody who knows Rav Yaakov Medan, he's definitely an eclectic thinker. He's not afraid to raise any question. He's very, very well-rounded. And yet the sad part is, The whole Tanakh is based on questions, people questioning God. Abraham questions God. Should not the judge of all the world do justly? Moshe questions God. When God says, your people have sinned, Moses says to him, listen, either you forgive them or erase me from your book. There's no two ways about it. Questioning God is what Jews do. In fact, the name Israel, Israel, Yisrael, is because you wrestle with God. And that's really what the Tanakh is about. And I think it's very sad commentary to believe that the definition of a religious person is someone who does not question God. The opposite, it's almost anti-religious or sacrilegious to question God, because that's exactly what Judaism tries to avoid. With that in mind, let's go to today's podcast. We are talking today in our second podcast about Sefer Yoshua Perak Bet, the book of Joshua, the second chapter. And we're going to be looking at the story of the spies, the spies that Joshua sends to the city of Jericho, of Jericho, where they run into the prostitute Rachav, they make a getaway, and they return to Yehoshua. One of the important rules in understanding Tanakh's stories is to know that the Tanakh does not give direct evaluations. Yehoshua did the right thing, Yehoshua did the wrong thing. The spies behave properly, the spies behave improperly. So if so, how do we arrive at an evaluation if this was the right thing or do that, or the wrong thing to do? One of the ways that Tanakh does this is through a series of allusions or parallels with other stories. And obviously the first story that I'd be looking at is a story that occurred 40 years earlier, the story of Moshe, Moses, sending the spies to Canaan for 40 days to check out the land. Let's see, before we go in, let's see what it looks like. Are the walls fortified or not? What are the fruit like? How beautiful is the land, etc., etc. It's all written in by Midbar Yigimel, Numbers 13. And at first glance, one would should ask the obvious question. It didn't work so well the last time. Why would Yoshua, why would Joshua even think of repeating himself? And this is a question raised by all the commentators. I'll just quote one, the 19th century commentator, Meir Levush, the Malbim, who wrote the tremendous commentary against biblical criticism on the side, but he really goes through every word in the Tanakh explains its precise and exact meaning, and raises almost all the thematic issues that need to be raised by the Tanakh. It's a tremendous commentary. It's a commentary after Rashi that I grew up on. I love the commentary. And he suggests there are five fundamental differences. First of all, when Moshe sends the spies, he in fact does not do so of his own initiative, but the initiative of the people, as is clear in the text of the Torah. Two, Moshe sends them while they are still far away from the land. This is what the Malbim says. They are Midbar Param. And they didn't know anything about the land at all, and as such, the spy, purpose of the spies was almost negligible because it wouldn't accomplish much. Yeshua is sending them from Shittim, as opposed to Midbar Paran, which is on the border, 
And it's not a question of will they go into the land or not go into the land, just the question is how. Three, Moshe sends 12 of them to be Miraglim. And although he sends Miraglim, he, the Malbim explains that if you look carefully, the word Miragil, the word for spy there, doesn't appear in the Torah, rather they are Tarim. And he says, a Tar is somebody who's trying to decide, is the land good or is it not good? A Miragil is not asked to make that subjective distinction, is the land good or not good? Rather, it's just simply to say, well, where is the best place to conquer or not conquer? Fourth, Yoshua sends them privately without anyone else knowing. Nobody is in the people know that the spies are gone. They only could go away for a couple of days. They do not have to give a public report to a committee of inquirers anything, as what happens with Moshe spies, and that of course led to all the disastrous stories that occurred in Numbers 13 by Midbar Yagimel. Finally, the mission given to the spies was very specific, as opposed to the spies that Moshe sends, that Moses sends, he sends them in a general fact-finding message on the entire land. Yeshua gives a very specific mission, go to Yericho, go see what Jericho looks like, and let's see how do we enter the land, what is the best way to conquer Yericho. All that being said, however, there's this very simple question I want to ask. Were these spies any good? Part of me wonders, because if you look at Moshe's spies, they go through the land for about 40 days, they're untouched, they're unthreatened, they make it back, they're able to give a clear and precise report, they can tell you exactly what's in the land, the quality of the land, the quality of the inhabitants, the dangers they'll face. Yoshua's spies almost seem bubbling. One can imagine they're debriefing before Yoshua. So, you're back. It's great to see you. Tell me what the city is about. Well, there's a front gate, and then we were almost caught. So, can you tell me anything about the land, the city itself? Don't worry about it. God's with us. We're going to win. But where are their forces? Where are their people? We have no idea. We almost got caught. We had to run and hide. But don't worry about it. Really? Where'd you run and hide to? Oh, this lovely prostitute named Rachav. So she took us into her place of ill repute. But we've got a small deal on the side with her. But don't worry about it. God's with us. Shem is going to protect us. We're okay. These are possibly the worst spies ever. And yet they come back so full of confidence that one ignores the fact when you read it that in fact their actual mission was a failure. So the question is, what did these spies accomplish? One has to answer, the, really the only thing that we've accomplished here is we got to meet the fascinating character of Rachav. Rachav, who is this prostitute, as she's labeled at the beginning, we know that immediately, even though Rashi brings the opinion of the Targum that the word Zona, the Hebrew for prostitute, also can be derived from the word Mazon, she's an innkeeper. Even Rashi himself later on says that she had been involved in this irreputable profession for almost 40 years. Yet, when I read Rachav's speech, it sounds like this woman really knows the book of Deuteronomy, the book of Devarim, very well. She knows there's a God who controls the heavens and the earth. She knows of all the great things God has done for the people of Israel. It's a tremendous declaration of faith, a tremendous confession. And she says, I want to put my lot with your people. In fact, Rabbi Michael Hatton, in his work, talks about the significance that, as opposed to gods of cities who protect rulers and kings, you take this woman from the lowest social class possible and you put in her mouth perhaps the most amazing declaration of faith that there is in Sefer Yoshua. That says something, that God is open to everybody. I want to suggest a different comparison, however. Instead of comparing Yoshua and the story of the spies to Numbers, the sending of the spies in Bamidbar, I want to suggest a different address. And for that, we'll be right back.
I want to suggest the following comparison. To me, Rachav's story echoes the story found in Genesis 19, Bereshit Yitet, which the story of the two people who come to Lot and the eventual destruction of Sodom and Amorah, Sodom and Gomorrah. Let's look at the correspondence between the two accounts. Both stories tell about a city, whether it's Jericho in the book of Joshua or Sodom in the book of Genesis, that is, a city is going to be doomed destruction. Two men arrive in the city. Actually, these two men are messengers of the force that is going to cause the city's destruction. Two men arrive in the city, and they're given shelter by one of its citizens. Later in the evening, when they're at the house, the entire city, men of the city will appear at the door. They demand that the strangers be brought out. They're quickly dispatched, sent away with. The city is destroyed, but the citizen who saved the people, his house is spared, along with the family. I would add the following word plays as well. In addition to the thematic parallels, it's quite possible that there are literary parallels as well, or word plays at least. The two men who come to Sodom, the Malachim, the as they're called, they're called Malachim, and keep that word in mind, they want to spend the night in the city plaza, the Rachov. Whereas the two men who come to Jericho, they actually spend the night by Rachav, Rachov, Rachav. The wording's the same, that they demand that Lot bring the men out. The word, same word is used, Hotziam. And Lot responds by saying, I'll give you my daughters, share lo yadu adam. They did not know a man, yadu. Rachav says, I don't know, lo yadati. They don't know, I don't know. And what happens is, again, we have this setup of thematic and literary parallels. And in fact, to strengthen the little parallel at the end, these people who are sent by Joshua are always called Muraglim. Until the very last time in the book of Yoshua, the book of Joshua, which refers to them, chapter 6, verse 17, also in 25, calls them not Muraglim, but Malachim, messengers, to parallel the story of the Malachim who went to Sodom. The question is, why these parallels? Well, let's look at the major difference. In the story of Lot, he's really very passive. Although he brings the people in, and he is given credit for that, he gets saved because of the chesed that Hashem promised to do for Avraham. Rachav, on the other hand, takes the initiative to save these people, and the spies save her because of the chesed that she has done for them. The question is, why are these parallels important? Why are these parallels important? Why is it important to compare between Lot being saved from Sodom and Rachav from Yericho? I think the reason is as follows. Sodom is the epitome of Canaanite civilization. It's the nadir, it's the lowest point that the Canaanites have reached. We know that the land is being taken from, from the Canaanim, by, from the Canaanites, not because of the promise to Abraham immediately, but rather because their sin has been fulfilled. When they sin enough, then the land will no longer allow them to stay on it, as it were, and the land will kick them out. And to exemplify the sinful behavior of the Canaanim, the Canaanites, we have the story of Sodom. We see that they do not bring in guests. Compare that, of course, with Abraham's house. Abraham, the third day after his operation, after his brit milah, his circumcision, he's out looking for guests. He instructs his entire family, take care of the guests. Rebecca, Rivka, her test of entering to the Jewish people is not a test of how well do you know the sacred books or how well do you pray, but rather, do you take care of guests? Do you take care of strangers? To be part of the Jewish people means, are you willing to take care of the other? Do you take care of the person who needs help? Sodom doesn't do that, therefore they deserve to be destroyed. Now we come to a parallel situation with Rahab. 
Rachav sees others. Yes, she knows of their situation, who they are, but she is still risking her life to take care of them. In fact, one can imagine that had she turned the spies over to the king, she would have received a very generous reward, perhaps a parade, a medal, some bounty, maybe she could retire. Yet she chooses to protect the people who need help. And this is so important because what it says is that entry into the land is not contingent upon your biological birth, as it were. But rather, do you aspire to live by the values that define the Jewish people? Judaism is more than just biology. It's a question of, do you take care of other people? Do you take care of the stranger? Rachav, who, according to rabbinic tradition, not only is saved and not only converts, she even marries Joshua, the head of the Jewish people, the leader, the Moses' chief student. He will marry Rachav, a woman who is considered a prostitute by the text. In Jewish tradition, they marry, they have eight prophets from their children. What a powerful statement as to the strength of repentance, but more importantly, the Torah's placing of the value of kindness and good deeds over things that we would consider more traditionally religious measures of a person. This, I think, is the reason for the parallels. It's an important, important lesson for us to understand as we begin the study of the book of Joshua. That what's, this is not simply a nationalistic, chauvinistic conquering of the land. God doesn't like them. God likes them. Therefore, God chooses to take the land away from the Canaanites with no reason whatsoever. Rather, tells us from the very beginning, here's what the land wants. Here are the people who deserve to stay in the land. Here are the people who do not stay in the land. If you are engaged of acts of kindness, if you're engaged of taking care of guests, if you're engaged in protecting the poor and defending the other among you, then you get to stay, because that's what the land of Israel really wants. It's fascinating. There are also some other parallels in the story. The terms of Rachel's rescue, for example, remind us, especially the red string, should remind us of the leaving of Egypt. Rachav is given really the same orders for her family. Don't leave the house. Don't go outside. Put a red string on the window. It reminds us of the Jews in Egypt who are told not to go outside, not to look at the suffering of the people that they're among. Rather, stay inside. And the, both the blood in the Egypt story, the red cord in this story, mark the unique status of the household. And it emphasizes that Rachav is being identified with the Jewish people. And that becomes a very, very powerful statement. With that thought in mind, we'll finish here. Our next podcast will be up soon. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast. We've been talking about Yoshua Bet, Joshua 2, the story of Rachab and the spies. Pretty soon the website should be up. I hope you'll have a chance to visit it, look at it. And until then, God bless from the hills of Jerusalem, in a lone I'm Yaakov Beasley.